Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by sharing and showing the love of Christ and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now, here is this week's message from Pastor Floyd Hughes. All right, as you are making your way um, back to your seats and getting situated this morning, we're continuing our series in Daniel. Uh, But over the next few weeks, we're going to specifically be talking about the Bible and prayer. And as I mentioned earlier, we're going to be partaking of communion. So if anyone's watching online, feel free to grab some crackers and some juice. And uh, so you can join us partaking in that later on. Um, This week, we're going to focus on the Bible specifically why reading the Word of God is so important, and it's not just so you can tell that I'm not making this stuff up, although that is definitely a good reason why people should read the Bible. No one should ever say, hey, I know this is in the Word of God because this is what my pastor said, right? I mean, it's it's good if you can verify that, but um, just because I say it doesn't mean it's true. Hopefully, you guys are looking that up on your own. And today, uh, we're going to see written in black and white and then later in red, for those of you who have the red-letter version of the Bible, um, why reading the Word of God is so important. And the first thing we're going to see is this. Uh, we're going to see that people in the Bible actually took time to read the Bible. And I know that kind of makes sense, but a lot of people don't know that people in the Bible uh, actually read the Bible just like we do. Uh, so we're in Daniel chapter 9. Uh, We're going to break it up into two chapters this morning. We're only going to cover the first three verses, and you'll see why when we get there, because there's just a lot of stuff. I actually thought when I initially started this series that we'd be able to finish it quickly, but there's so much content and information that I don't want to gloss over or not share. So uh, we're going to spend a little bit more time, almost right up to Christmas, walking through the book of Daniel. Uh, Now, chapter 9 in itself has a lot of information. First and foremost, uh, it talks about the importance of reading and knowing the Bible, right? Because there's a lot of people that think, hey, uh, just reading the Bible, and this is not to be disrespectful to the people that do that, and if you've done that, I'm not criticizing you, but the people that are like, hey, I read the whole Bible in 90 days, that's kind of good, but did you really retain any of the information that you read? Right? Was that, that, that speed reading and just going through and saying I read the words without actually knowing what the content means isn't really helpful to us. But in chapter 9, we're also going to talk about the importance of regular and consistent prayer. Right? This isn't something that the pastor just wants you to do. This is something that over and over and over throughout the Bible, God calls us to do. And we're going to see that. We're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks. Uh, but we're also going to see the importance of trusting God and the word of God. Right? And, and Daniel, and again, I'm jumping ahead of myself, we'll get into it in a minute, but Daniel read the Bible, and because he lived out and saw God working in his life, he was able to put his trust in, oh, here's what the Bible says, so I'm going to have to put my faith in that. And that's what a lot of people uh, today don't do as much as they should. Right? So if you have a Bible, open it up to Daniel chapter 9. Uh, but like I said, we're only going to read the first couple of verses, so I'm going to put them up here on the screen. Daniel chapter 9 starts off like this. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, 
who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. That's a lot. We're going to come back to it. We'll, we'll, we'll explain what a lot of this means in a minute. Uh, but here's the key. He says, so I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer, petition, fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And, and, and just to summarize this, we're going to come back to that part later uh, in a couple of weeks. But what Daniel said is, because I read the scriptures and understood what the scriptures meant to my life, I turned to God and pleaded with him in prayer, petition, fasting, and sackcloth and ashes. Sackcloth and ashes were just something they did to put on to show that they were in almost like mourning, okay? So because of his knowledge of the scriptures, Daniel turned around and he said, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to spend some time in prayer to God because of what the scriptures reveal. We're gonna talk about what the scriptures reveal in a minute, but let me break this down really quickly. It says in the first year, verse one, of Darius, son of Xerxes, the Mede by descent, who was made ruler of the Babylonian kingdom. Daniel is telling us when this took place, right? At this point, Daniel is in his probably mid-80s, I want to say 80, somewhere between 84, 87 years old. He's in his mid-80s. He's actually seen God do a lot of stuff in his life, and the scriptures that we just read, he's actually seen some of it fulfilled. So he's not a person who has to say, I don't know if I can trust the word of God. He's a person who says, hey, as I read the word of God, I've seen it work in my life. I've seen it fulfilled. So I'm going to trust the word of God. And I've said this before, but let me, let me just break this down again. Uh, if you read through the book of Daniel, chapter one through four are about Nebuchadnezzar, right? In the first chapter, Daniel starts out with, Here, here's this king, Nebuchadnezzar, who took me into captivity, dragged me hundreds of miles. He was crashed, castrated, right? Lived under uh, three years of training under the chief of the eunuchs because he himself was a eunuch. And you can Google that later what that means, right? Then after that, he goes to work for the same king who did all of that to him. And when he's working for that king, uh, and we've read this where uh, the king has a dream and a nightmare, Daniel comes to interpret it, and that dream is about all the other kingdoms that are going to come. And Daniel reveals that to him because God revealed it to Daniel, even though Daniel may not have known what that meant, right? But then you get to uh, chapter 4, and Nebuchadnezzar uh, kind of has to humble himself before God, but he doesn't. And so God literally fires him, kicks him out, humbles him, and then he holds like a, a, a state of the union address to the kingdom and saying, the God of Daniel, that's God. He's sovereign over all kingdoms. I am just a part of his kingdom, but he is the one true God, right? Then after chapter four, you jump to chapter seven and eight. Chapter seven is in the first year of Belshazzar, the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, where God gives Daniel a vision, and that vision about, is about here are the next kingdoms that are coming. Then in chapter 8, the third year of Belshazzar, the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, this is like 50-some-odd years later after Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel gets another vision. 
And he writes these visions down. This one is like the first one, but with a little bit more detail. And Daniel realizes, because of the vision, that just as he serves under Nebuchadnezzar in the capital of Babylon, he's going to end up serving another king in the capital of Persia, because the Medo-Persian Empire is going to take over. Then 12 years later, right, you jump to chapter 5, and that is fulfilled. God judges Belshazzar specifically for not adhering to God's morality of justice and righteousness. He judges him. Uh, the Medo Persian Empire that night comes in and takes over. So Daniel has lived all this out. He's given these visions by God. He writes them down. He tells them to uh, the king. And, and, and of course, his word gets shared to the other people. And then he actually lives it out. So now he's heard or from God that this is going to happen, and he's lived out as it happens. Then you jump to chapter 6 and chapter 9. Chapter 6, he's in the first year of Darius, who's the new king. He puts Daniel in charge, but of course the other people don't like it, so they make this law that you can't pray to anyone except Darius. Daniel continues to pray to God, gets thrown in the lion's den. God preserves him. And Darius promotes him. And then, when you get to chapter 9, which is what we're going to read today, he gets more visions from God as he reads through the scripture and sees over and over, yep, this is what the word of God says, and this is what God did. And then you get to chapter uh, 10, 11, and 12, which depending upon who you talk to, they're either a series of visions but realistically, it's like one ongoing vision uh, that he's in the third year of King Cyrus where he has these visions. Now, the difference is before, in chapter 9, he's in the first year of Darius. Darius was uh, king over the kingdom of Babylon, and he was a Mede. Cyrus was king over the Persian Empire, and he was Persian. So they joined together for the Medo Persian Empire. So Darius was king over Babylon. But when you get to the third year of King Cyrus, the reason why he's going into Cy talking about Cyrus instead of Darius is because he's now no longer in Babylon. Now, just as he was told 12 years prior, he's now working no longer for Darius, but now he's working for Cyrus in the capital of Persia. So uh, a long, long, long way to go about that, but just to say that over and over again, he's seen and heard God say, this is what's going to happen, and then he watched as the word of God was fulfilled. Now, uh, spoiler alert, the next couple of chapters are really, for lack of a better term, super duper spiritual. I mean, it, it's, it's about spiritual warfare it's about prayer. It's about like angels showing up. It's about angels going to war against one another. It's about uh, uh, predictions of nations that will come and also what's going to happen in the end times with uh, vicious rulers, the Antichrist, and the return of Christ. Super, I mean, just super duper supernatural stuff that we're going to try to compress all into a couple of weeks uh, that, that, that summarizes it all. Um, and then we'll talk about Christmas. All right, uh, so uh, are, you, are you guys ready to, to, to jump into this? Because this is going to be a little, a little weird for some people, but I hope everyone's with it. All right, so Daniel chapter 3. I keep adjusting my headset because it's 
like weird on my ears, so forgive me. Daniel chapter 3, I mean Daniel chapter 9. So this is what it says. Um, he says, first year, Darius, son of Xerxes, because he's in Babylon. And in verse 2 it says, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. Now, this is important. He says that I understood from the scriptures, from the Bible. He's reading from uh, the scroll of the prophet Jeremiah. Now, we know because we stand on this side of time that he's reading from Jeremiah chapter 25. At that time, the chapters and verses weren't written in. They just had scrolls. But we now know he's reading from Jeremiah 25. Here's the thing, though, because if Daniel... Right? This, is, this is Daniel who God sent angels to like, oh, Daniel is praying. Daniel's talking. I'm going to send an angel to talk to him. God sent angels. Daniel's in trouble. We need to protect him from the lions. The same Daniel who God again and again and again showed visions of what was to happen and spoke to personally. And uh, other books called Daniel one of the most righteous people in the Bible. But if he took the time to pick up and read the word of God, then shouldn't we like maybe make time to read the word of God? If he's sitting down and he has had visions, God showed him this is what's going to happen and it happened, this is what's going to happen and it's going to happen. If he took the time to say, I want to know what's going on with my life, let me dig into God's word, then perhaps we, if we want to understand what's going on in our lives, how we can live our lives to the full, perhaps we should also Take the time uh, to dig into the Word of God. Now, here's, here's, here's the problem with this, because most people, uh, when you talk to pastors, they make it sound like, hey, the reason why you need to read the Word of God is so that you're ready to hear what I'm going to talk about on Sunday. That's not why you should read the Word of God, right? You should read the Word of God so that you know that it's true and how it applies to your life, right? And I talk to people every single day. And when I say every day, I'm not dramatizing. I mean every day who will say, you know how like if you're a doctor and you say, oh, I'm a doctor. And they say, oh, doctor. And they just happen to tell you, here's the pain that I'm having. What do you think it is? They want your advice. If you happen to tell people you're a pastor, the first thing they say is, oh, you know, doesn't it say such and such in the Bible? And my answer is usually no, it doesn't say that because they're not reading their Bible. They're coming up with something that someone told them, like the, the, the friend that they talk to every day on the bus on the way to work said, oh, such and such is in the Bible, and they didn't go look it up in the Bible. They just was like, oh, that's in the Bible, took it at face value that that's in the Bible, and guess what? It, it's not in the Bible. Some of the, some of the questions I had from people this week were about, and, and, and no offense, but were about uh, one woman who said that when she stepped into a church, they told her she was going to hell because she wasn't wearing a dress and a hat. And they told her, well, that's what the Bible says. Because she was like, wait, where is it? And they were like, this is what the Bible says. You're going to hell if you're not dressed this way. And there are all kind of crazy things like that that people think are in the Bible because someone told them that's in the Bible. But if you actually read your Bible... None of that, none of that is in the Bible. A lot of the things that we used to do as a church because of tradition, right, and it made sense and it worked, we did it because that was the culture, 
but now the culture has changed. And so people are like, hey, we need to still keep doing this because it's in the Bible. But the reality is it's not in the Bible. It's not in the Word of God. And there are so many traditions that turn people away. And there are so many people that are turning away from the church because they believe, hey, I, I, I hear you saying that you love God. And you say that's in the Bible. I hear you saying that you're supposed to do A, B, and C because that's in the Bible. But I don't see you living. When they go back and they actually read their Bible and they compare it to the way they see people treating one another, they're like, these things don't line up. Right? So um, here's, it doesn't line up because it's not in the Bible. So uh, Daniel, right, he's reading from the scroll of Jeremiah chapter 25. And Jeremiah pleaded with the Israelites to like, hey, you know what? The way that you guys are living, this is exactly what we said. Jeremiah pleads with the people of Israel, the way that you guys are living is not in accordance with what's in the word of God. And there are consequences for it. And God is going to hold us accountable if we don't get right and live the way that God says. They didn't get right. The nation of Israel was destroyed. And then Jeremiah writes the book of Lamentations where he literally laments and cries and just pours out his emotion over sitting from afar and watching as the nation is destroyed and the city of Jerusalem like burns to the ground. And he's lamenting because he's like, this didn't have to happen if we had just read and trusted the word of God. Now, uh, I want to walk you through kind of uh, what he was reading, Daniel was reading, in Jeremiah chapter 25, you can follow along if you want. If you don't want to, in the corner or margin of your Bible, next to Daniel chapter 9, verse 2, write Jeremiah 25, verses 1 to 12, because that's, that's the portion of the scroll that he was reading. Uh, we're going to read a portion of that right now really quick. This is what it says. For 23 years, from the 13th year of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, until this very day, the word of the Lord has come to me. This is what Jeremiah is saying. And I have spoken to you again and again, but you have not listened. And though the Lord has sent all his servants, the prophets to you again and again, you have not listened or have not paid attention. So this is Jeremiah saying, hey, for the last 23 years, I have been begging with you guys to do what the word of God says and you guys haven't paid attention. And he says, I'm not the only one. God has said prophet after prophet after prophet time and time again to say, hey, you guys need to obey what the word of God says and you haven't listened. Then he says this, they, meaning the prophets, said, turn now, each of you, from your evil ways and your evil practices. And you can stay in the land the Lord gave you to your ancestors forever and ever. This might seem a little weird to some people, but he's saying something that we've all heard before. He's talking about the way they treat one another because they were being evil to one another, mean to one another, greedy, oppressing one another. So he was saying, hey, stop doing that and you can stay in the land. Then he was saying this, do not follow other gods to serve and worship them. Do not arouse my anger with what your hands have made, then I will not harm you. So here's, here's the thing. And again, the word got very simple. I get people that tell me, oh, there's so many rules and whatever that God wants. No, you know what God wants? He wants us to love one another and to love him. And this is what he says that he's holding them accountable for. The evil way that they were treating one another and their lack of reverence and love for the God who brought them into the land and met all their needs. Same thing that Jesus said, hey, all this boils down to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul, 
love your neighbor as yourself. It's that simple. If you do nothing else and that's all you do for the rest of your life, God's like, well done, my good and faithful servant. Right? Then he says this, but you didn't listen to me, declares the Lord. You have aroused my anger with what your hands have made and you have brought harm to yourselves. Therefore, the Lord Almighty says this, because you have not listened to my words, in other words, here are the consequences, because you didn't obey God, because you weren't treating one another with love and respect and you weren't loving God, here are the consequences. He says, I will summon all the peoples of the north and my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, declares the Lord. I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all the surrounding nations and completely destroy them and make them an object of horror and scorn and everlasting ruin. And this may seem harsh. This was written probably, I want to say, 25 to 30 years before uh, Daniel was taken into captivity in Babylon. So this is the prophet Jeremiah saying, hey, I'm going to summon my servant, Nebuchadnezzar. He calls him by name. At this point, Nebuchadnezzar is not even in power yet. Probably born, but not even in power as a king. And here's, here's that word servant. It's a word that's used throughout the Bible uh, that in some, in some uh, places in the Bible, it's the same word, but it's translated slave, but it literally means bondservant. Someone who, who puts themselves in, in, in servitude to someone in order to pay off a debt. And when it says, I will completely destroy them, it doesn't mean that God is going to just, you know, sm uh, smash them off the face of the earth. That word destroy is a word that means uh, to take something and dedicate it to God or to consecrate it. So God's saying, hey, I'm going to use my servant Nebuchadnezzar. And I'm going to, yes, I'm going to uh, remove, and he goes into detail, talks about taking them into captivity. But then all of the people of Israel are going to be like dedicated to God. Now transfer, I'm going to read the next verse, but transfer a couple of hundred years later when you get to the New Testament. Because of this verse, because the people had been so flippant with their obedience to God. They weren't treating one another with respect. They weren't obeying the word of God. Their nation was destroyed. They were taken into captivity. Because of this, when you get to the New Testament, that's why there are, they have the, the, the scribes and the Pharisees, and they have all these extra rules that they put in place to make sure that no one violated God's word even a little bit so that this never happened again. They went from, we're, we're just going to do whatever we want and not obey God, to the far right legalistic, here are all these extra rules we're going to put in place to like, you can't do this, and if you do this, you have to do this, and all of this extra stuff that they added to the word of God. Neither one was right, but that was the result, right? And then he says this, I will banish from them, the sounds of joy and gladness, the voices of bride and bridegroom, the sound of millstones and the light of the lamp. This whole country will become a desolate wasteland, and these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. This is the part that Daniel was reading where he says, oh, wow, wait, this is supposed to last 70 years, but when the 70 years are fulfilled, I will punish the king of Babylon and his nation, the land of the Babylonians, for their guilt, declares the Lord, and will make it desolate forever. Now, this is kind of 
important. So I know some of you don't like when I put up a lot of details and background and whatever, but bear with me, right? If, you're, if this isn't into you, just kind of zone out for a minute, but not too long. Maybe get up, grab a cookie, sugar rush, and then come back and we'll, we'll, we'll continue. But uh, here's the thing. The fall of Jerusalem timeline, in 609 BC, right, God raised up the Babylonians and sent them against Jerusalem, against the nation of Israel. They didn't destroy it, but they conquered it. And that's when, uh, if you look, I think some places say 608 or 607 or 609, 609 BC, um, they didn't destroy it, but they took it over. So Jerusalem and uh, the nation of Israel, they still had a king, but that king was subject to Nebuchadnezzar. And in order to show that, Nebuchadnezzar took Daniel and some of the elite and the rich and the prosperous and the rulers and took them into captivity to Babylon. And that's when Daniel got taken to Babylon and started serving in Babylon. 586 BC, right, the, the nation of Israel was still under Nebuchadnezzar, but they were like, enough of this, we need to be our own, we're going to rebel, we're the people of God, and they rebelled, and because of their disobedience to God, God allowed them to get smushed like a bug. The nation was destroyed, the city of Jerusalem was destroyed, and this is where uh, Jeremiah talks about in the book of Lamentations that during that last siege that the people were so starved because Nebuchadnezzar was, and the Babylonians were camped all around them that they started eating their own children because they didn't have any food until finally they gave up and Nebuchadnezzar came in and destroyed them. Now here's the thing. 586 B.C. it was destroyed. 539 B.C. is when the Medes came in what we just read, Medes came in, and they destroyed Babylon. Take the Bible away for a minute. If you just do the historical math on when the Babylon, Babylonians came in in 609 B.C. and took over the nation of Israel, and then when the Babylonian Empire fell to the Medes and Persians, somebody wants to take out a calculator and do the math, it's 70 years even though 20 some odd years before, 20, 30 years before, Jeremiah said, this is what's going to happen. And then 70 years later, God is going to allow the Babylonian kingdom to fall for its guilt and for it not following and it not being obedient to the word of God. And again, this is, this is not me like making this up. This is not what just what the Bible says, although the Bible says this, this is what history bears out happened. And if, if we can look and we can see over and over again, God said and it happened, God said and it's happened, God said and it happened, then maybe we should start trusting the word of God that when God says it's going to happen, that it's going to happen. Uh, look at this. Let me show you this real quickly. Uh, we said before, 75% of the prophecies that Daniel made were fulfilled with alarming accuracy. We're going to read some in the next couple of weeks uh, where it doesn't just talk about nations that are going to rise and nations that are going to fall. It talks about how these nations are going to come to power, which kings are going to marry which queens to create alliances and then go do war. I mean, there is so much detail, so much so, that people looked at this and said, hey, you know what? The only way this could be possible is if it was written hundreds of years later. 
So they just changed the date based solely on the fact that so much of 75%, I think it's like 76 point something percent of the prophecies came true. That's just the book of Daniel. In the Bible alone, now if you go Google this, right, I don't know if these numbers are exact. I didn't go through and do a one-for-one. Some some have a little bit more, some have a little bit less. But if you look at the Bible as a whole, in the Old Testament, 1,279 prophecies. In the New Testament, 578 prophecies. Total, 1,817 prophecies in the Bible. Over 50% have come true with alarming specificity to increase not just Nebuchadnezzar being called by name, Cyrus 200 years before he was born being called by name, exactly the decrees that he would make and what he would do, which nations would rise, which nations would fall, and the only ones that have not been fulfilled are the ones that have to do with the return of Christ and the end times. Every other prophecy that the Bible has made has been fulfilled with alarming specificity. And here's, here's the reality. If, 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 if we see that, then shouldn't we start reading the Bible more because it increases our faith in God and in his word? I mean, if I see over and over and over again that God said, and it happened. God said, and it happened. God said, and it happened. Then when I read a passage of scripture that says, here's what God can do for me, then I'm pretty sure I can put my faith in it to happen. But also, it shows us that there are consequences for our sins. If I read a passage of scripture that says, hey, uh, if, if I am disobedient to the word of God, if I mistreat other people, then God's going to hold me accountable for that, then I should believe that God's going to hold me accountable for that. Then I should believe that, yeah, it's, it's worth my while to do what the Bible says and love the Lord with all my heart, mind, body, and soul, but love and treat my neighbors with respect. This is what Jesus says. Uh, in John chapter 5, uh, Jesus said this. He said, you search and investigate and pour over the scriptures. He was talking about the Pharisees and people in general. You pour over the scriptures diligently because you suppose and trust that you have eternal life through them. And these very scriptures testify about me. All of the scriptures, all of the thing, all of the prophecies, most of them, all of them point to uh, the fact that Jesus was going to come. And I, again, the Bible is very simple. It's not asking us to do a bunch of rules. We don't have to all of a sudden go out and buy cows and make sacrifices. We don't have to wear our beards this long or dress a certain way or do a certain thing. We just have to love God and love others. That's what it points to. Jesus on the road to Emmaus was walking with after... Um, his resurrection was walking with two of the disciples. And this is what he says. I put in the Amplified Version because it's, it's alarming what he says. He said, some of those who were with us went to the tomb. They're, they're describing to Jesus what happened. Went to the tomb, and they found it just as the woman had said. But him, meaning Jesus, they did not see. So they're describing to Jesus. They, didn't know, they don't know it's the resurrected Jesus. They're describing to him that, hey, there's just been this death uh, and this burial of Jesus, and they say we, the women went to the tomb and found it empty, and Jesus said to them, and this is, this is like, it's just so alarming. He says, oh foolish ones, sluggish in mind, dull of perception, which is literally a, a, an old school way of saying, you idiots, right? He says, and slow of heart to believe, adhere to, and trust, and rely on everything that the prophets have spoken. He called them idiots 
Because he said, everything that you're talking about, the tomb being empty, me rising from the dead, it's in the word of God. Daniel even talked about it. Isaiah talked about it. The prophets talked about it. Then he did this, and this is, this is even more. He says, was it not necessary and essentially fitting that the Christ, the Messiah, should suffer all these things before entering into his glory, his majesty, and his splendor? In other words, if you read the word of God, you would find out that this had to happen. This was supposed to happen. This was foretold in the word of God. And then beginning with Moses, and when it says beginning with Moses, talking about the first five books of the Bible. He went through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Then all the prophets, and when it says the prophets, right, at that time, the prophets included First and Second Kings, all the historical books, the major prophets, the minor prophets. He went on explaining and interpreting to them in all the scriptures the things concerning and referring to himself. He went on to show them that, hey, all this stuff that you read in the Bible, it points to Jesus. All the stuff you read in the Old Testament, it points to Jesus. Everything that you read in the New Testament, the book of Hebrews is a book that one person wrote just to show to all of the Jewish people that were still trying to follow the law that, hey, all of that stuff points to Jesus. And before anyone says, well, that's a lot of stuff to read, here's the two things Jesus tells us. Just read the part that says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's what the entire Bible tells us to do from beginning to end. So right now we're going to shift and we're going to partake of communion. Because uh, all the scriptures that we talked about that talk about the return of Christ, when we partake of communion, that's one of the things that we do as well. All right, so when you look at the Bible, there are over 300 verses that talk about the birth of Jesus Christ. All of them have been fulfilled. There's over 900 verses that talk about his second coming, the return of Christ. Those have not been fulfilled. Those, are, those and the ones that talk about the end times, the only verses that haven't been fulfilled. But one of the verses that talks about it is the verse that we use to partake of communion. So uh, I'm going to read this and then I'm going to ask the ushers to come and we'll We'll partake of communion. Uh, it says, uh, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And here's the thing. So many people take this and they do it as kind of like a ritual. We'll do it every Sunday. We do it the first and third month. Nothing wrong with that. But he said every single time we do it, whenever we eat the bread, whenever we drink that cup, we're making a public proclamation of the Lord's death until he comes. Every time we partake of communion, it's a reminder that Jesus is coming back. It's a reminder that everything, because Jesus took this whole thing that was about communion that uh, had to do with the Passover, and he said it used to look back to what God the Father did at the Passover. He said, now it's going to be used to look forward to my return, to what I will do when I come back for you. So I'm going to ask all you guys to stand. I'm going to ask the ushers to, uh, if you guys can come forward and bring the communion table over God, we're so grateful for just your love, your mercy, 
as always, your grace, but also for your word. We're grateful that you loved us enough to send your son to die on a cross, that you loved us enough to have your Holy Spirit raise him from the dead, but you also love us enough that he is coming back for us. We're so grateful that every time we partake of communion, that we are remembering and we are proclaiming the death, burial, and resurrection of your son, of his body broken for us, of his blood shed for us, but also of your promise and your commitment to return to us. And for this, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. God, we're so, again, as always, grateful for your word. We pray that as we move into this Thanksgiving week, that we would take your words to heart. The words that you give us to love one another, to treat one another as we love ourselves. The words that you give us telling us to love you with all our heart, mind, body, and soul. We pray that we take the time to truly share the thankfulness that we have for all that you do for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Amen.